0: So, as, uh, as Rick said, or Chris said, uh, you join us near the end of a series called Kings, where we're looking at a number of uh, spiritual leaders uh, in the Bible. Um, and it's kind of prompting us uh, and asking us what it is we should be looking for and praying about in our, our leaders today. Now, you know, it doesn't matter what form or what, uh, what type, or whether they're political, spiritual, uh, parental, or otherwise. It's, it's kind of digging into that. But it has been an interesting week politically, hasn't it? I mean, we've got, what, Brown stepped down as as Prime Minister. We had, uh, uh, without going into the detail, you know, Cameron stepped up and then Clegg is is kind of joined with him. And part of that is having to let go of some of the past tensions. Uh, And I have a wonderful clip, which you may have seen in the news, as a kind of example of this. Could we play that?
1: Thank you. well 5 News. First of all, congratulations to you both, Prime Minister, Deputy
0: Prime Minister. Secondly, Prime Minister, do you now regret when once asked what your favourite joke was, you replied Nick Clegg. And Deputy Prime Minister, what do you think of that? Uh, we're all going to have... I, I'm afraid I did not. Oh. Uh... <laughs> uh, we're all...
2: Come back! <laughs> we're all going
0: to... Oh, you've got to love that. You know, whatever your opinion is of our current Prime Minister and the current political situation, you've got to admit there is a sense of humour going on there as well. So, brilliant. Um, So, so far in the series we've looked at, um, we started off, Chris looked a few weeks ago at King Saul. Uh, Dennis then followed up looking at King David. And then Rick last week did an incredible job looking at uh, King Solomon. This week I'm going to look at a slightly less well-known king uh, called King Hezekiah. Uh, and you may have read about him is is in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles but just let me give you a bit of background so you understand what kind of situation we're in uh, so Israel as a nation has been split into two without all going on to detail again uh, you've got a southern kingdom which Hezekiah will soon uh, become king of that was called Judah and you've got a northern kingdom which kept the name Israel Now, Israel was in a pretty desperate state, okay? It was absolutely falling to pieces, and it wouldn't be long, uh, it was actually during Hezekiah's reign, that it would actually just fall to the Assyrian Empire. Now, this would put incredible pressure on Judah, uh, the southern kingdom. But not only that, I mean, at the same time... Uh, there's this, uh, you've got Syria, the one empire, the superpower, and you've got Egypt on the other side. And there's this ongoing pressure on Judah, who's, who's left in this place, where they're just feeling this, uh, this pressure, either to, to side with one of these superpowers, or be destroyed by them. So not only is this incredible in- international pressure, but there's also a lot of domestic issues going on as well. You know, there's uh, this sense that actually there's incredible degradation, there's incredible despair in the nation. You know, this is a really bad time. They are absolutely in pieces themselves. You know, there was poor people all over the place. Their economic situation was pretty dire. You know, there was these social consequences, and it was an absolute state. In, In all people's eyes, it was fairly obvious there was only a matter of time before they followed in Israel's footsteps into demise. Now it's at this point, this crucial crisis point, that Hezekiah becomes king of this nation. And it's been no easy task that lays before him. And so, as you can imagine, all eyes are on this king, asking, is he going to be the one that releases us and sets us and steers us free of this crisis? Or is he going to be the one, like we almost expect, to take us to that place of demise, and so all eyes are on this guy at this point. And this story we're going to delve into, we're only going to be able to touch part of it due to time. But there's three questions I'm going to ask. The first question is, what is he like today? And the question for that is, what is important to him? What is immediately important to him? The second question is, what is he going to do tomorrow? In other words, you know, what's his strategy? What's his plan? How is he going to accomplish what he sets out to do? And the third question is, what what does the future look like? In other words, what legacy is he going to leave behind? So we're going to look at those three questions. So the first question, what is he like today? You know, another way of asking this question is, um, what are his values like? What does he hold deeply important? You know, this is a fantastic question to begin with. Because no matter what uh, someone, a leader, says or promises... Ultimately, it comes down to to what is really important to them. What are their values? What are their beliefs that will ultimately define what they do? And so a leader's priority, another way of looking at it, is as you look at what they first do, as you look at what they do in the first few weeks, the first decisions they make, it kind of gives us a glimpse of what's to come up in the future, And so once again, all eyes are currently on uh, David Cameron, or Dave, as the Sun newspaper calls him, which I think is brilliant. Um, And uh, and, and that political party as to what the decisions and what the actions they take in these first few weeks. Because this will give us a glimpse of what the rest of the, the few years ahead of us hold in store. And so with that in mind, let's have a look at what Hezekiah does first of all. Um, I'm going to turn to this in my Bible, the, the scripture is going to come up on the screen, but as always, if you don't have a Bible, you know, grab one from the welcome desk on the way out. we'd love to give you one. Uh, this is in uh, 2 Chronicles 29, uh, starting at verse 3. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors to the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said... Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement uh, from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful. They did evil in the, Lord, um, in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. Skipping ahead to verse 10. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. Do you know, for many years, the prophets Isaiah and and Micah, the prophets you can find in the Bible, these guys were were speaking to this nation, speaking to Israel and speaking to Judah and saying, look guys, everything you're doing is empty, it's a waste of time. You can see quite clearly that you don't mean anything you're doing. There's a sense that, the, you know, the people were doing the job, but they were so untrustworthy. You know, they were, they were just, there was no real commitment. There was an immense amount of greed involved, and that actually everyone had lost confidence in them. Everyone had given up hope in them. And so as they're speaking to them, you know, there's this, it's almost like speaking right into your face and looking at the situation around us and thinking, this is hopeless, This is selfish. And look at the consequences of it. And as you can imagine, you know, that was no easy task to speak directly to that. But as Hezekiah first came in, he tore open the temple doors. You know, he consecrated, he cleaned the temple, and then he said he's going to make a promise with God. This was going literally right in the face of everything that had happened so far. Now, by all means, that was no easy task in its own right. But it's also, you know, take into account that it was actually Hezekiah's father, his predecessor, the previous king, that was the one that nailed the doors shut. So this was a bold move in many ways. But you know, the thing that really stands out is not necessarily what he did, but why he did it. His value. And you can read in verse 10 that it says he did this so that that uh, God's fierce anger his disappointment, his upset, his rage at how the people were being treated would turn away from them. You know, Hezekiah wasn't doing this to make his own life easier or to make it a little bit more comfortable. He certainly wasn't doing it for that. He was doing it because he cared for the people, for how they were being treated, even if they did not understand what he was going to do or what he was doing. So that becomes even more clearly as we read on, um, and 2 Chronicles 30, just flipping over the page. You know, as, a, as he held a, a Passover festival, a great celebration where he invited people from all over the nation, whoever would come, he invited. And yet people turned up and they, they turned up messy and they turned up unprepared. You know, previously they would have just been sent away and no, come back when, you're, you know, when you look better. But Hezekiah doesn't do that. He welcomes them. He embraces them. He says this, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, God or the Lord the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. You know, this was a leader who cared first and foremost about the people he was charged with leading. That was his, that was his major value. You know, he would value the, the people that he looked after, he led, above everything else. You know, the essence of Hezekiah's leadership was the belief that he wasn't called just to lead, but he was called to steward God's people. And when I say God's people, that includes people that don't even know or believe or follow God. He, that was his sense, that God had called him to steward his people. And so the first lesson we learn from Hezekiah is this. That a leader is called to be a steward of people. And it's the values that a leader has today that will define the steward they become tomorrow. So with that in mind... Let's go to the second question. So the second question is, is this. So we know what he will do today. We know his values. The next question is, how will he do that? What, what, will be, what will he do tomorrow? In other words, what is his strategy, his plan? How is he going to accomplish what he sets out to do? You know, a leader can, make, can come up with incredible ideas, great vision, wonderful goals. But if he hasn't or she hasn't got a clue how to achieve those, then that's all they that remain is ideas, vision, and goals. And they ultimately, they amount to nothing. And so a leader has to have some way, some how of achieving this. But we look, as we look at um, Hezekiah, and as we look at how he, you know, what he actually accomplished in his lifetime, we can see that he was successful. So let's just have a quick read of that. This is Hezekiah, he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, uh, made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him and he was successful in whatever he undertook. There's a whole sermon in that which won't have time to go away but go away, study it. It's absolutely brilliant. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Do you know this... Immediately tells us that King Hezekiah, this example of a leader, was more than just words. He was actual actions as well. There was more to him. There was meat to him. You know, not only did he he work wonders domestically, did he reform, did he change that whole society? Did he turn everything around? But also internationally. You know, he made a real difference internationally. Ultimately, this was a great king a great leader, the one that people have longed for and needed desperately, especially during this time of crisis. But that tells us how successful he was, but it doesn't tell us how he did it. And so, as I've just said, it's the value that a leader has today that will define the steward they will become tomorrow. If we flip to another account of this, of one of these stories, we actually gain a little bit more information. Just so you know, I mean, the, there's this is something relatively I found out as well. In, in Kings, so there's the same story repeated in Kings and Chronicles. In Kings, this was written from a, a kingly perspective, and then you flip to Chronicles, and it's written from a kind of priestly, a temple perspective. So in some ways, you get the same story but different perspectives and different sides. And this is uh, one of the, this is from the priestly perspective. Now, before I go into this, let me just say that, um, go back to the bit where he said he was holding a Passover, a great celebration, a great festival of which he wants to invite everyone to. Now, the thing about that is as he sent his messengers out, as he sent the invitations out, people pretty much mocked him. They spat in the face of the messengers. They just kind of turned them away. This is, please, come on, we're, you know, modern society. But the messengers carried on, they carried on, they continued to deliver the message. Come, you know, come and celebrate, come and celebrate this festival. And as they went out, they slowly picked up a few people and more and more people got added on. So eventually, you know, outside of this temple, on this, this day that the celebration was about to begin, there was a huge crowd, there was a massive crowd, And immediately, they just started celebrating. They started singing out. This is the greatest celebration they'd ever seen. You know, Hezekiah, the first thing he did was feed them. Brilliant, eh? And then, you know, he absolutely celebrated with them. They sung, they prayed, they worshipped together. Ultimately, the the revival was literally born in this moment. Hezekiah just valued them, and he welcomed them in. And he said here, and said, Uh, There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them for their prayer, uh, reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. And now this is the key. This is the awesome bit. This is the how. When all of this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles, they destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they had destroyed them all, the Israelites returned to their towns and their property. They basically just went home. What a great evening. That just suddenly reminds me of my Saturday night. <laughs> Does you see the difference though? In, in two kings, it actually says Hezekiah did all this. But actually, when you read the other perspective, it was actually the everyday people that made the difference. The everyday people that Hezekiah loved, he valued, he honored, he embraced. The everyday people that he stewarded well. Those were the people that made the difference. And then after they made a the difference, they went home. You know, as you think about this, you can't help but think, actually, you know, on a Sunday morning, as well as during the week, that's, a, that's pretty much true of a lot of you guys. You know, as you look at the welcome, you know, say you come in you look at, and you think, Chris and Fliss do a fantastic job with this church. What a great place it is to belong to. But then as you think about it, actually you see that the welcome team or the ones that made you feel welcome. The refreshments team were the ones that just made you feel at home. The ministry team afterwards, they're the ones that really do the breakthrough uh, ministerial God, Holy Spirit speaking, to you, uh, speaking into your life uh, I hope the preaching does that as well and the worship is where you connect with God the kids work is where you, your children are growing up knowing about Jesus and you know what, after all of that the volunteers, they just go home no one necessarily knows their name but they're the ones making the everyday people, the ones that are making the, the incredible difference the incredible impact you know, Hezekiah wasn't just a leader. He was a great nurturer of all followers because he valued people above himself. You know, there's, there's this great three-minute video which we've got time to look at, uh, which is kind of from a guy, it's from TED.com, some of you may be familiar with. Uh, they kind of, it's a website where they just have little videos and they share ideas. Uh, and this one's by a guy called Derek Sivers, I think his name is pronounced. Uh, and it's how to build a movement. What happens when you nurture your first follower? Let's, uh, let's show the video. Although, let me just disclaim, first of all, that's mild nudity in, OK? <laughs> <laughs>
1: talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen, start to finish, in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. (laughs) (laughs) But what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now, there he is calling to his friends. Now, if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first <laughs> follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and the crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers. Because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. (laughs) So notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed. (laughs) but they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit. But it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Okay, so who wants to be the shirtless guy that starts the momentum? No? Okay. I'd practice a dance at home, but I'm not bold enough to. uh. Oh, there you go. Um, Okay, so so much emphasis is placed on the the shirtless guy, you know, as Derek was rightly saying, but actually it's the people that follow, the people uh, that are willing to turn that lone nut into a leader that really make the difference. You know, those are the guys that will build the momentum, that will end up changing uh, the nation, the world. And so the, the real thing is, is that Hezekiah knew this already. He knew this when he started valuing people as he started valuing people. You know, a great leader is definitely the one that nurtures, one that encourages, one that invests in the people that are brave enough to follow him. In other words, they steward well. And so when a a leader has earned the trust and the confidence of the people that are brave enough to follow, it's actually together that they can really make a difference. And so, you know, maybe you're someone that's been listening to these talks and the moment the word leader has been spoken, you've immediately discounted yourself. Maybe that's you, maybe you're just, uh, you know, a volunteer or maybe you're just an employee. You know, my challenge to you is actually to look beyond that. Maybe you are just trying to make a small difference like the rest of us without looking a little bit too weird in the process. And the lesson to be learned, for all of us, really, is that actually it pays to be a great follower. It pays to be a great follower. And so, you know, if you really want to make a difference and you're not ready to call yourself a leader, you know, as Derek said, have the courage to, to join in. Have the courage to, to follow more importantly, have the courage uh, to stand up. As soon as you see or find something great or someone great, have the courage to join in and stand up and follow that person. Pray for them. You know, help the leadership. Help whoever is in charge at that moment. May they steward well. So the second lesson to learn before we move on is that it's not just leaders, but it's the everyday people that really make the difference. And so the, the third question, which we're leading up to now, is, is uh, what will tomorrow look like? What will... Uh, that's not the question, is it? It's not, it's not along those lines. What will the future look like? There you go. Now, this is, a, this is an important question as well. You know, with Hezekiah, the people trusted him, and because they trusted him, he was able to lead them through incredible crises to the point where when the Assyrian uh, nation, the Assyrian Empire, finally came to attack uh, Judah... They were able to withstand it. They were able to fight back. And there's this incredible story. Once again, you're going to have to go away and read this. But there's this incredible story where they just, you know, Hezekiah earned their trust. And so as he heard from God and as he prayed and as he he moved with God, the people trusted him, followed him, and they were successful. Brilliant story. But actually, it's after that and after a number of incredible successes. Uh, and when Judah was finally experiencing peace, that Hezekiah finally revealed a weakness. I'll read this. Uh, actually, I'll just give a background. So, princes of Babylon, basically, uh, Babylon would be the nation that would eventually uh, conquer Judah. They came under the umbrella to congratulate him, but as they did that, he also they also came to invite him into the secret agreement. Uh, And within that, you know, Hezekiah, for whatever reason, decides to show them his entire kingdom, all the riches and all the good stuff that he had. And as soon as Isaiah, the prophet at the time, heard about this and, and found this out, he spoke to Hezekiah and he said this, Listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all of the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve the palace of Babylon, uh, Babylon's king. And this is the important part. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, that's catchy, uh, this message you have given me from, uh, from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace during my, uh, and security during my lifetime. At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. You know, when it all came down to it, Hezekiah was you know, the right leader for the crisis. He was a fantastic leader to get them through the difficult times. But it immediately became clear that Hezekiah was very much focused on the present and he had no consideration of the future. You know, at a time when we need strong followers, uh, strong leaders to follow, during what is a, a crisis in many ways, there's this idea, there's this thought that actually we cannot and we must not take our eyes off of the future. The impact that has. You know, a steward doesn't just steward well when he or she is around. A good steward, a good leader considers the people's future as well. Now that is so key, especially as you think of this generation, especially as you think of the the leaders at this time. And you ask the question, you wonder, you beg almost, that we wouldn't be a generation known for selling our children's peace, our children's future for peace today. I don't want to be known for that. I would rather have a tough time now To know that my children and the people that God has entrusted me to lead will have peace as much as they can in the future. And that's the challenge to all of us as we lead, that we consider what will happen when we've gone or when we're out of the picture. And as we pray for people... You know, what are the focuses? Is there such a heavy focus on the now, the immediate, the comfort, the security, the peace in our lifetime that we're actually not considering the implications of that in the future? And that was Hezekiah's weakness. But it doesn't have to be ours. And so, to round this up, let me just quickly recap. As we consider uh, leaders as stewards of people, Let's first consider today you know, their values. So, first of all, we look at the prime minister, the new government. Uh, government, And we consider actually, or we pray for them that they would have uh, good ethics, good morals, in other words, a godly standard in the way that they lead, that they wouldn't uh, put their own name above the, the welfare of the nation. You know, if you're a leader in industry or ministry, you ask yourself the question what is it you value? Do you value profit above relationship? Do you value individual success above team success? And maybe you're someone who, uh, not necessarily a leader in that big, well-known scripted off reason, but actually you've got a partner, you've got children, you've got people or friends around you that you influence, then you would be considered a leader in those areas as well, those spheres. And again, the question, you know, ask yourself: Is is what values do I have? What are my values today? You know, maybe like um, King Hezekiah had to. Uh, you know, King Hezekiah's father nailed some doors shut. Maybe actually part of the onus on us is actually to, to open those doors, as difficult as they may be. Not for just for our good, but for the good of those around us. Consider your tomorrow, your strategy. You know, if you're a leader. Are you planning to change the world by yourself? Or do you value, do you, will you nurture, will you invest and encourage those that are brave enough to follow? Maybe you are a follower. Maybe the onus is actually to, to be brave enough to step up. To find something or someone that looks like they're doing something great and join in. One of the easiest ways about that and one of the simplest ways is on a Sunday morning, just join a team. Be that person that makes the difference. And thirdly, consider your future. You know, that is such an awakening point. What is the price? What is the cost of our peace today? That's a tough question. But one we need to ask, we need to be real about We need to be honest about. And as you pray for people in leadership, pray and guide their hands, guide their decisions, guide the things that they are doing today, they wouldn't just benefit us now, but it would also benefit our children, benefit our future. Now, I'm going to invite the band back up. I can't see them, but there they are. Maybe you guys would just like to stand and I'll just pray and we'll hand back to, to Sam and the team. So you know, just a, a final thought really. You know, um, Hezekiah relied heavily, as you'll read if you, if you read this, heavily on, uh, on people like Isaiah who heard the voice of God and, and were able to speak into that. You know, we are so fortunate in that through what Jesus has done, we, have a, we can have a direct relationship with God, and through the Holy Spirit, we can listen to God's voice. We can read God's word. And when we do that, we must be ready to not just listen to the encouragement, but also the counsel that God offers. And so as Sam starts to pray. Let me just pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you that, as I prayed earlier, that actually, Jesus, you are a brilliant example of leader, the perfect example. And I pray we would learn from you, but we would also learn from these uh, leaders that you've given us, and I pray as we make those decisions, as we consider our values, as we uh, consider our strategies, and the the investment in other people, and most importantly, as we consider the future. Lord, I pray that your wisdom, your encouragement, and your counsel will be such a key part to our decisions. Bless us as we do that, Lord. Amen.
2: Jesus Like honey on my lips, Your spirit like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and Jesus, I love You. Lord. Bye. My... I love, you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit.
0: you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we do not do this alone, that it's uh, your presence through the Holy Spirit that can guide us, that can minister to us, that can help us lead, that we do not lead alone, and can help us pray and show others how to follow. Thank you, Jesus. And so every week we uh, offer prayer at the front of church, my right, your left. And if you like prayer for any of those reasons, and um, please come forward and pray, uh, receive prayer. But also, we uh, have a prayer team that meets before the service that prays. And these things—they—they um, they felt like some people have. Um, so someone has something—a <laughs> bone in the left foot. Hopefully, you have got bone. There's fractured, uh, not the toes. Uh, someone has problems with the joy, a misalignment. Uh, Someone with an Achilles problem in the left ankle. A man with a swollen right elbow, possibly the bone. Uh, Someone with spinal problems. Someone with physical allergies. A young woman with a bad reaction to hair colorants. And finally, uh, someone or anyone suffering with sinuses problems. So let me just pray one more time. Father, I just thank you for all of these, and I thank you that you are a God that ministers, that loves, that leads us well. And I pray that as your people this week, as we leave this place, that we would be like those everyday people that make the difference, and then we'd go home and be with our families, be with our friends, most importantly, be with you. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.